Good morning, everyone. It's Jennifer Bukowski filling in for Gary Nolan today. And we are watching. I have saw up on the screen, Fox News showed Donald Trump just walked into the courthouse for day two of this civil trial that Letitia James, the attorney general of New York, has brought against him. Brian Hansen is here with me, of course. Good morning. Morning, Jen. You know, Brian, I printed out four different indictments, some of them 100 pages long, that I've been toting around in my briefcase or have on my desk just to refer to. I did not even have this one on my radar, but this one is potentially one that could take away Trump's wealth and already is in the process of doing so. And it is just astonishing to me that they have this statute that allows an attorney general in New York to basically take away your business without showing that you've harmed anyone. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Well, and the, how long ago did these? Um, how long ago did this take place? Do you remember? I mean, it must have been ten, fifteen years ago. Well, that that is an issue. That's an interesting thing that you brought that up because Trump came out of the uh, trial yesterday saying that the judge just threw eighty percent of the case out. Now I looked at his attorney's faces when he made that statement, and I could tell that they were not pleased with him saying that. And digging further into it, uh, it looks like the judge made a comment at the end of one of the accountant witnesses that the attorney general led off with saying, you know, he was testifying about things in 2011. And he's like, I hope this relates to stuff that happened later on, because otherwise this has been a huge waste of time. Donald Trump extrapolated that to say that the judge threw 80 percent of the case out. But the judge already issued in a summary judgment a huge um, win for Letitia James last week. Here's a piece from Andrew McCarthy with Trump already found guilty. His New York fraud trial begins. This isn't a judicial proceeding. It's a partisan farce. The Bolshevik bloc of the Democratic Party is having its fantasy prosecution of Donald Trump play out in real life New York City. There in a state attorney general, Letitia James's civil fraud case against the former president, the trial will begin today. This is yesterday. Even though Trump was already found guilty and sentenced to corporate death last week by a robed apparat named Arthur Engeron. What? Yeah, I know it sounds crazy, but that's because it is crazy. Frighteningly crazy. Let me try to explain. James picked up the scraps of a case Manhattan prosecutors declined to bring. Even Alvin Bragg who had little hesitation in bringing a preposterous business records falsification indictment against Trump based on a legal hush money payment that harms no one, refused to charge a criminal fraud case based on decades of Trump's financial records, the holy grail that his prosecutor, his predecessor, Cyrus Vance, and congressional Democrats chased for years, making two trips to the U.S. Supreme Court in the process. James An ambitious progressive authoritarian who campaigned for office on a vow to weaponize the Empire State's legal processes against Trump decided to package the scraps into a lengthy civil complaint. After all, she had a secret weapon, New York's Executive Law 6512, which empowers an abusive prosecutor to put partisan enemies out of business without having to prove anything. Although this provision purports to allow repeated and persistent fraud and or illegality in reality as i explained last week in a column for the messenger the law doesn't require a showing of harm the state need not 
prove the defendant even intended to defraud anyone, much less actually defrauded someone. It need not be established that any creditor or financial institution even relied on the defendant's misrepresentations, that those misrepresentations were material, or that anyone was actually fooled by them. The state just has to show that a defendant made false claims with enough persistence and repetition that at least two persons were, quote, affected, end quote, which, whatever it means, is not a synonym for harmed. Thus, the state has used Trump's financial records to establish that he significantly overstated the value of his assets and statements in a financial a financial condition, SFCs, that are customarily required in various business dealings to get loans and insurance contracts. And so there's a fib about his 11,000 square foot Trump Tower triplex was actually 30,000 square feet and valued at $327 million at the time when a record sale of a comparably upscale dwelling in Manhattan was $88 million. None of these things, and so I've been reading from Andy McCarthy's piece, none of these things actually fooled any bankers. They actually look at numbers and know what they're doing because that's their bread and butter. But uh, And Trump even had a worthless cause in his SFC saying that don't rely on these numbers. So what did he do when there's no victims? But here is the here's the shocking thing to me that I was unaware of, Brian. Uh, the judge already in a 35 page diatribe issued last week found Trump liable on the main cause of action, the 6512 claim. He for good measure he fined Trump's lawyers seventy five hundred dollars a piece, ostensibly for making frivolous arguments, mainly look for declining to pretend that Engoron's hackdom is actually legal acumen. <laughs> and most significantly, the good judge imposed the corporate death penalty, putting Trump, his adult sons, and the Trump organization out of business, taking away their state-issued business licenses, calling for the appointment of receivers to oversee the dissolution of Trump's business entities, and continuing to subject him to monitors. Let me repeat that. The judge has already ordered in this case that Trump and his adult sons are out of business because he took away their state-issued business licenses and called for the appointment of receivers to oversee the dissolution of Trump's business entities, and he's continuing to subject them to monitors. Isn't that insane, Brian? That is. There's nobody that's been harmed. Yeah, that, that was my first question. Usually, you know, when you go to court, someone has, you have to show that somebody has been harmed by the actions that you took. And in this case, they just found something that they believed to be incorrect in his evaluation of properties. And so we're going to go get him. We don't care if there is a victim in this crime or not. We want to get him. And isn't that what they're doing with Donald Trump from the very first day that he stepped in office? We're going to get him. It it certainly is. Letitia James campaigned on this very promise. But the thing is, you have to look at this and say, who would want to build a business in New York when you have a law there that allows an attorney general to just take your business from you if it is in her you know, political interest to do so, if she wants to build a profile to do so? And they don't have to show that you actually harmed anyone. They, She can just take this law for her wow. own personal political career and take your business away from you. This is sending a signal out to businesses all over the country not to put their eggs in the basket that is New York anymore because they could be taken from you. Did they even have a bank to testify 
on behalf of what they decided to say, hey, we were damaged during this. Uh... <laughs> Actually, quite to the contrary, they have testimony, all the banks, I mean, they have records or whatever, affidavits, because this trial just began yesterday and all they had was an accountant talking about how he was presented with financial documents by the Trump organization and what they valued his assets at that were older than the statute of limitations. However, they have all kinds of statements that all the money was paid back for all these different loans. And that's why they loaned <laughs> Trump money, because he was actually rich. He wasn't as rich as he was claiming, but they knew that. And they knew that he was good for the loans. And so they loaned him the money and they were paid back. So they don't have anyone that relied on this, that lost any money or was harmed in any way. Can you imagine if a similar instance occurred? Let's say you were selling your house and you were allowed to do a self-appraisal and say, yeah, my house is worth a million dollars, and the bank accepted what you said. And they later found out that you were lying in the value of your house, but the bank got every dime of the money that it loaned you. And, you know, 10 years later, they come after you for fraud? Who was damaged? Yeah, and it would be like not the bank doing it. It's just the attorney general that doesn't like you doing it. Right, that's what I was saying. It's like this is all about... And so now we're going to take away your ability to own houses in Missouri. That would be the equivalent. Because they're taking away his ability to have businesses. That's why he's personally in court. And his sons are personally in court. Because while they have four different criminal indictments pending against him, they have this trial, which is supposed to last into December, Brian. I... That's just astonishing to me, the amount of waste of resources of the taxpayers of New York that they have in bringing this anyway. Uh, We'll take your thoughts on this whole situation. And I don't know, there's so much going on and so many things that are sad but funny uh, to talk about today. Uh, I'm going to have a friend of mine, long-term prosecutor, Nicole Volker. She's going to join me on the show. We've got some interesting stories to kick around at the bottom of the hour. And the next hour, we'll have Senator Bill Eigler so much to talk about but taking your calls on this topic what do you think of them taking away trump's ability to do business in the state of new york uh 573-874-9390 this is jennifer bukowski filling in for gary nolan on the zimmer radio network we're back on the gary nolan shows jennifer bukowski filling in uh it got so much to talk about today my laptop is filled with uh topic ideas here but we are talking about this Trump civil trial, which I had not realized, they have entered a pretrial order last week, taking away Trump's ability to do business in New York, putting his businesses into receivership. It's really stunning and really scary that they can do that uh, to businesses in New York. And uh, a prosecutor who is putting her own political interests against the interests of the taxpayers of New York by wasting money for years bringing this litigation, a trial that's going to be going on until December. I cannot imagine why they would need to sit in court every day until December to talk about Trump's representations about how much his businesses were worth. That sounds like something you could cover in two days. And that's something we would actually cover in a few days here in Boone County, Missouri. Like, we don't have trials for months and months on end. So... In any event, it is just really stunning that they've already entered this order against Trump and it has put his ability to make a living at issue. Why does this matter? Well, he's facing 
not just this trial, but four others in trying to run for president. They're going to jam him up until December with this thing. Then they're going to kick off his other trials, including the ridiculous one in New York, uh, where they've charged him criminally with not properly keeping his internal books. Again, not defrauding anyone except himself, like ostensibly, for uh, rec- how he recorded his hush money payments to Stormy Daniels. That's another victimless crime. They've got the thing in D.C. They've got the thing in Georgia. They've got the case in Florida. Lawyers cost money, okay? I mean, I cannot even imagine the hourly rates that are going on with all of the lawyers all over the country that are having to deal with representing Trump, and they're coming after his livelihood at the same time. They want to ruin him. They want to put him in jail and take away all of his money. Trump must be destroyed. Yeah, he had the audacity to run for president when he wasn't part of the deep state and he wasn't part of the establishment. And they're sending a message, don't you dare do it. Because we'll come in and we'll ruin you. Um, so we have a caller on this subject. Rick on line one. Rick, welcome to the show. Yes, well, thank you for taking my call. Um, you know, we have a constitutional process for electing presidents and electing government officials. And all of that is being broken by treasonous people who Jeff Sessions and Bill Barr would not prosecute. And since... We couldn't get the true treasonous criminals in the District of Columbia and other places under control and in jail. They are doing what he wouldn't do to them by trying to destroy him. And it's pure treason against the constitutional process in the United States of America. And these criminals must be arrested held without bond, and tried for their crimes. I mean, even what's going on in New York, that's what this is. This is treason against the Constitution of the United States of America interfering with elections. Yeah. Uh, Well, Rick, thank you for the call. The interfering with the elections, I would agree with you on. That's what this is about. Trump is running again for president. He's way ahead in the polls, and they want to stop him, regardless of what we, the people of America, have to say about it, whether or not we would like to elect him as our president. They don't want us to have that choice. They want to stop him from winning the next election and becoming president again. And it is just astonishing to me that they have in this civil fraud trial gone ahead and taken away his business licenses for right now. They're trying to do what are known as interlocutory appeals because in the ordinary course of a case, you can rarely do appeals. You can only do them in certain circumstances because the appellate courts say, hey, wait until the judgment is final. Wait until the case is over. Then come to us with your complaints about what the trial court has done wrong. Until then, you're not allowed to appeal. So they're going to be fighting about what can you appeal now versus what do you have to wait until December. Once, you know, in the meantime, they've taken all your ability to run your businesses and you've had to pay attorneys this whole time. And so, you know, you're being harmed by these ongoing orders that this uh, trial court judge has put into place. Um, They're going to say, no, you can't appeal that now, but they'll fight about that because I think that this could meet an exception and allow for an interlocutory appeal, the suspension of these businesses, business licenses. But I don't know. He's been subjected to these monitors already. So 
maybe they'll allow these things to go into receivership. But this is not just hurting Trump. It's hurting his two adult sons. That's why they were there with him in court. It's quite something. And we'll see more from him, I'm sure, as uh, the morning unfolds and the week unfolds. But this is why Trump is actually in court on this when he is, you know, not he didn't go to court for that ridiculous lawsuit brought by the lady who said, oh, he came on to me and <laughs> touched me without my consent in a department uh store barney's you know dressing room 30 years ago he didn't bother showing up for that trial he hasn't bothered showing up for some of the other nonsense but this one you know his his reputation and his wallet are all on the line and that's why he's in court there this week (laughs) we have other stories going on okay i don't know what the deal is but tupac shakur Uh, One of the guys, the last surviving suspect in that case, has been arrested with Tupac's murder in 1996 in Las Vegas. Did you hear about this, Brian? I did. You know Uh, how they caught him? uh, DNA? Nope. Uh, Based on what someone else said? You're saying? Nope. He wrote a tell-all book. Oh, no. He wrote... (laughs) Okay, this is a pro tip. I'm a criminal defense attorney. Okay, <laughs> if you have if you have gotten away with a high high profile murder, you're you've been involved with a high high, pro, high profile murder, and somehow you've gotten away with it and not been charged. Don't write a tell all book bragging about how you were involved and provided the gun that was used oh to kill Tupac. Unbelievable. That's what revived interest in looking at him. He was a suspect at the time, but they didn't have enough to go on, so they didn't arrest him. And now they have because he wrote a tell-all book bragging about his involvement. It's kind of funny because, you know, who else wrote a tell-all book that has court this morning, I believe, that is in trouble because of it? Hunter Biden. Wow. So Hunter Biden's, you know, in his Well, I have a question about that. How come time hasn't, uh, what's the term? Statute Uh, of limitations. Yeah. How come the statute of limitations hasn't uh, come into this? Like if O.J. Simpson, for example, said, hey, I, I killed her. Because uh, there's no statute of limitations on murder. Ah. Uh, there, that's one I just knew right off the top of my head for you. Now, thank you for that. That's there are for Hunter you. Biden, but he was too stupid to wait for his tell-all book until the statute of limitations expired on everything. Uh, but what is the deal with these uh, guys writing tell-all books? I think that these... Uh, I'll tell you what, I think the publishers of these books really encourage people to tell on themselves. Because that Claire McCaskill's book, Pretty, uh, what was it? Pretty Lady? Not Pretty Lady, something something like that. She said all kinds of stuff that was basically oppo research on herself. And I think these editors really try to get juicy stuff out of people. You know, Prince Harry's book did not uh, cast him in a very flattering light and disclosed all kinds of crazy stuff but this guy oh boy in uh, trouble they finally made an arrest for tupac's murder and uh anyway next up i'm gonna have my friend longtime friend who's a career prosecutor and we're gonna banter around some of these cases legal cases that have been going on it should be fun so stick around this is jennifer bukowski filling in for gary nolan on the zimmer radio network This is The Gary Nolan Show. 
And we're back on the Gary Nolan Show. It's Jennifer Bukowski filling in for Gary. And I'm pleased to be joined by my long-term friend, Nicole Volker. Good morning, Nicole. Good morning. So, Nicole, just a little background on you. You started out, uh, you've been a prosecutor for a long time. Yeah, uh, many years. I've been practicing law for 25 years. I've been a prosecutor everywhere from the city of Chicago to right now I'm prosecutor in Monroe County, Missouri. Yep. You've been a prosecutor in Boone County, Callaway County, Montgomery County. Yes. So uh, lots of experience. And you were uh, worked for many years as a legal advisor to the police department. Yes, so, here in Columbia. So lots of experience to draw on. And even though I'm a defense attorney and you're a prosecutor, we're still friends. We yeah. can work that way. So lots of criminal stories going on in the news that I'm looking forward to discussing with you. I've mentioned just before the end of the hour about this guy who's been arrested for the murder of Tupac Shakur. Uh, did you see this? He wrote a tell-all book, Dwayne Keffy D. Davis. Uh, he wrote a book. Uh, and it, What was this book called? Compton Street Legend. It's available for $20 on Amazon. But he's bragging about how he was there as an eyewitness to uh, the big murders of Tupac Shakur and who was the other guy, Puffy or something like that? Uh, Notorious B.I.G. was also murdered, but that might have been a different case. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, apparently he implicated himself in this book with providing the gun that was used to kill Tupac, which, as we both know, that can make you, an ex- you know, an accomplice to the crime. And so he's been in he's been charged and arrested in Las Vegas. Right. And what really shocked me the most about this news story was the fact that in addition to the book, he disclosed this information in 2010 in an interview with the feds to try and get out of his own uh, drug arrest. And apparently that was successful to get out of the drug arrest. But I'm just shocked that it it took so long. That is interesting because he's the only, I guess, maybe other suspects who are alive at that time. Because why else would that information get him out of trouble instead of into it? Correct. And he did. He claimed that the shooter was his nephew who conveniently died two years after Tupac. So maybe that's why these I mean, his book is all about the rules of the street and things like that. But I not from the street, but I thought that one of the rules is keep your mouth shut about right. stuff but here he's written a book but maybe his excuse is that everyone else is dead so now the rules don't apply it's just interesting though uh what a story but uh, other stories you know we've seen this play out with uh prosecutors you're a prosecutor you know this if uh you charge a whole bunch of co-defendants in a case you might make offers right. to some of them and one of the co-defendants one of the many co-defendants in the georgia case against trump has taken a plea deal. Tell us about that. Right. Uh, This one's interesting to me. One, there's so many co-defendants, more than I've ever seen in a case. And this plea is seems to be one of the least culpable people. I would call it low-hanging fruit. Um, It's a bail bondsman. The plea offer, from what I could tell, is what in Missouri uh, we commonly refer to as suspended imposition of sentence, which means that if he completes his probation, he doesn't even get a conviction. But one of the conditions of his probation is that he testify against any other co-defendant in the case. And so it gives the prosecutor the the sort of, you know, the, the plea on at least one case. But 
in my opinion, it, it wasn't that important of a, a case. And the gentleman's a bail bondsman. He needs to make a living. Um, someone who's a, who's a working guy like that can't afford the lawyers that some of these other co-defendants can. So he, he probably didn't have a lot of choice in the case. This is, you know, what they do. They try to uh, get the... I think that this is why Fannie Willis indicted so many people. We just didn't see that happen in some of the other indictments. The Mar-a-Lago one, there are now two co-defendants, that Walt Natua and then some other guy that had to do with, like, the surveillance cameras. But this one, there are 18 Sydney Pals among them, and... I think Sidney Powell specifically is someone that they might have this bail bondsman testify against. But you start with the little guy because they can't afford the lawyers and uh, maybe they aren't as culpable. You make offers to them to get them to testify against the others. And I think the ultimate goal is to get people to cooperate and testify against Donald Trump. What are your thoughts? I agree. Um, I had a case just recently where I had a co-defendant and part of the plea agreement was that he testified truthfully against his co-defendant. Now that's a criminal burglary case with two co-defendants. That's a pretty standard deal. I think that in in this case, what really struck me the most was just the sheer number of defendants. I, I just, I, unless it's a, you know, a a, a mob organization or something, it, that's just a, a an immense number of co-defendants. And I think that this just, it just seems sort of. Uh, I guess I've always thought with a defendant, if you've got a job and you're trying to make a living and keep your job and you're facing criminal charges, you really have to make a choice between the two. And he clearly chose to continue to make a living and probably support his family and take this guilty plea that to me was just straight probation, no conviction. Right. I mean, that is so often the case, especially with people that don't have any criminal record. They make an offer that is too good to refuse you know it's like when you're a public defender and people have rap sheets as long as my arm they don't have much to lose by going to trial those trials happen a lot more often when you have a client that has no criminal history they tend to make an offer that is makes it so that going to trial and risking all the charges you've been charged with and the complete range of punishment doesn't make any sense and it's too costly you know you're paying your own attorneys often when you know you don't when you have resources, you aren't qualified to get the public defender to be your free lawyer. And so you can't afford to pay attorneys to battle for months and months and then go to a lengthy jury trial on your behalf because you have a family, you have bills to pay and everything else. So those kind of people um, often plead out, even though that's not necessarily them saying they're guilty it's just they don't really have another twist so they have to get up there and say they're guilty correct and another thing that struck me about this particular plea deal that i've never seen there were there were two things that i thought were really strange one is there's an effect of a gag order against the bail bondsman he's not permitted as a condition of probation to talk at all about the case um well and and to talk about his unless plea they deal. want him to right correct. they want him to come in and talk right. otherwise he's not allowed to talk about he's it. i mean he's not even allowed to say you know something at all he spoke to his attorney and his attorney did say that he thought his client had was just trying to check to see if how things were going he just kind of showed up on the scene and uh, you know you and i have cumulatively seen thousands and thousands of cases where defendants have gotten probation can you think of any, I can't think of any, where it was a condition of probation that the defendant not discuss their case? 
correct. I, I've never seen that. It's something attorneys tell their clients. It's yeah. good. It's good legal advice. <laughs> yeah. But I've never seen it where that where that was the case. And then the second thing was, one of the conditions was that he apologized to the voters of the state of Georgia. I, I've had apologies in cases, but they go to individual victims, individual victims of property crimes or violent crimes. But I, I can't imagine a situation where I'd need a, an apology to the entire state of Missouri. Yeah, I've never seen anyone have to write an apology to the state of Missouri. And, you know, I've seen defendants apologize at, during sentencing as the judge is about to make a decision expressing remorse or be interviewed by the sentence, you know, the probation and parole as they prepare their sentencing advisory report and express remorse. But I've never seen them actually instructed by the court to write an apology letter. Like, who judges whether your apology letter is good enough? That's just so, I don't know, condescending. Like, it's something a parent would make a kid do or something. I've had them on a few cases. I'd say it's fairly rare. And usually it's at the request of a victim. And it's usually because the victim really wants that remorse. But oftentimes it's in a situation where something's getting a, a much lesser charge or um, it, there's there's some sort of extenuating circumstances to it. But again, yeah, never- I guess it is a creative thing like a defense attorney could offer. Like, look, here, he'll... He's willing to do community service. He's willing to write an apology letter. He'll do whatever. Just cut him a break. Correct. So that is something that you could offer that might appeal to the prosecutors. So I'd be interested to know who came up with this idea of an apology letter. But he was apparently his involvement was he was uh, present at the Coffee County Elections Office in January 2021. I guess they're perky around there in Coffee County, Georgia, where <laughs> He aided in the arrangement of Atlanta tech company Sullivan Strickler accessing voting equipment and copying confidential data. Right. It looks like he just showed up and said, hey, can I do anything to help? And some people gave him some what sounded like fairly menial tasks to do while other people were doing higher level things. I I doubt that he has much information to offer on on any any of the bigger co-defendants in the case. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, whether or not you're allowed to have a copy of the data from the machines, if you just show up and you're asking for a copy of the data and they give you a copy of the data, how are you supposed to know that that's unlawful? You know, they gave it to you. Correct. Now you're a criminal. I know ignorance of the law is not typically an excuse, but it's you're putting the onus on this bail bondsman to uh, know that he's not allowed to do that. How are you going to prove that? He knew that he was unlawfully accessing a voting machine because you have you have people observing the polls. You have election judges. You have uh, people watching every step of the process. So why not? That seems like kind of part of that same concept of overseeing, you know, transparency in elections. So how do you know that you can't do that? It's kind of silly. And in Missouri, there is a decent amount of voter information that does become public record. And I assume the same is true in Georgia. You can find out if someone pulls a a primary ballot for Democrat or Republican. You can find out where they're registered to vote. There's a lot of information like that you can get in Missouri through the open records law. Yeah, it's true. Candidates get the voter rolls and their information as well. I have to pay some nominal fee to do it, but yeah, you can get that information later. So what he what he did is something he could sensibly do later on anyway. In Missouri, at least, it's hard to know exactly without knowing what the data is. But you could definitely get 
a decent amount of voter information. Yeah, interesting. All right, well, we got more stories on the way. I'm trying to save it because it's so fun to talk about, but we might have to hit on this congressman who uh, pulled the fire alarm to go vote. Jamal Bowman may need to lawyer up. We'll talk about that and more next on The Gary Nolan Show. I'm here with Nicole Volkert on the Zimmer Radio Network. And we're back on The Gary Nolan Show. It's Jennifer Bukowski filling in for Gary. And I'm here with my friend Nicole Volkert, longtime career prosecutor. She's currently prosecutor for Monroe County. And I'm glad you're here, Nicole. There's so many <laughs> criminal stories uh, going on. Politics and criminal law have converged in the year 2023 like no other year that I've ever seen. And Hunter Biden is due in court. But first, I mentioned it before we went to break. Uh, this is a Wall Street Journal piece. Finally, an IRS leaker has been charged. And I think that this is a good development. Um, apparently, they caught this IRS consultant, finally, who took all of these um, tax returns, which we have to submit all this information to the government. Well, this guy went and got super rich people's tax returns, including Trump's, and leaked them to, like, the New York Times. And they've charged this guy now with that leaking to two unnamed news organizations. That is an interesting development. What are your thoughts on it? I, it's it's surprising it took so long. I see why the Wall Street Journal called it finally. The idea that when I file my IRS tax return, I, I don't expect it to show up in the media. It, it should not show up. It's it should stay private and and government employees should be responsible if they are accessing confidential information and then it gets leaked it's quite something because it, you have to disclose all of this sensitive information that could be used to steal your identity to steal your property all kinds of things could be used with this information and it is supposed to under the law be private but for somehow you know you've seen reports of Trump's different tax returns and stuff like that. And it's like, how did they get that? Like someone committed a crime for the news organizations to have that. I remember Rachel Maddow breathlessly saying, we've got Trump's tax returns. And they had a ticker on MSNBC all day, counting down 12 hours until they're going to talk about Trump's tax returns. And then it turned out like he paid $25 million in taxes that year. Like they really over, it was just the first page of the tax returns the cover sheet, not cover sheet, but the very first page that is probably the most important page <laughs> that really gives you a big picture of how much he earned total and how much he paid total. And that year he'd paid a significant amount of taxes, but it is good that they're finally uh, going ahead and uh, charging someone with this because part of the criminal law is to, you know, you have to enforce it if you want people to follow it, Right. Correct. And and I'll say, as far as my job as a prosecuting attorney, there's two things that govern, that prevent disclosure. One is that any sort of information that is considered a criminal justice uh, information sharing type system information, a police report, a criminal history, anything like that, it is actually a crime in Missouri to redisclose. And then just recently, the Missouri Supreme Court issued rules that make it so that uh, most people can now view a lot more cases online, but it also requires a lot of redaction. So, 
now as a prosecuting attorney, every case I file, I have to file two charges, one where it's open and one where it's closed. And, and I don't mind doing that. That's, that's transparency for people. But at the same time, it also requires that there's a burden on me, both my law license is at stake and criminal charges are at stake if I violate either one of those rules. So yeah, I think that someone who works inside information like that and leaks it should be held responsible. Yeah, uh, the sitting president of the United States that you have the audacity to go in and get his tax returns and leak them. Mr. Little John, that is this guy's name. Wasn't that Robin Hood's best friend? That's kind of an ironic yeah. name for this guy. He thinks that he's just, you know, stealing from the rich to give to the New York Times or for whoever else. <laughs> he's just a Robin Hood's buddy, Little John here. He is uh, uh, charged with leaking this information. He is presumed innocent. I'll remind people of that. But, you know, if you don't enforce rules like this and you lie, you're kind of condoning it. You're kind of tacitly saying this this is okay. So if you're not going to be serious about enforcing these rules, then people don't have an incentive to follow them. And more of this will occur. Correct. And I, I think you make a good point there, which is the idea of the deterrent effect of a prosecution like this. I, I guarantee that every other IRS employee is watching this case closely. They're watching to see what happens if they accidentally disclose accidentally, it. Exactly. Accidentally pull a fire alarm and run out the door yeah, with yeah. a bunch of uh, tax returns of rich people they don't like. Accidentally share <laughs> it with their brother-in-law to barbecue if they <laughs> accidentally take a PDF and download it and, and show it to their friends because they think it's fascinating. Uh, I, I don't think sharing with the media is, is, is anything like that, but I, do I think that people share information sometimes because they find it fascinating? Yeah, that, that does happen. Yeah, but actually giving it to be published in a publication like that is not something that usually happens, so I'm glad they're going after it. Oh, gosh. So we have more stories to get into uh, once we wrap this up, because the, I, I, we've got to get to Jamal Bowman. I get your thoughts on that before. Let's stick around for one more segment. Do you have time for one more sure. segment? We'll touch on the Jamal Bowman. Then I want to hear from callers what you think of this guy. Uh, is he telling the truth? That it was it's all a misunderstanding. He was just trying to vote people. Uh, we'll get into that. And the thing I want to start off with, with Nicole, though, you read the whole uh, plea de deal that blew up with Hunter Biden. He has court again today on these new gun charges. And I want to hear Nicole's thoughts on that because that was a fascinating plea deal to watch blow up. And uh, the new gun charges, there is an ar argument that Hunter is going to make that I'm pretty excited about as a guns rights advocate. We'll tell you about that next. This is Jennifer Bukowski filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network with my guest, Nicole Volkert. This is the Gary Nolan Show.